0: Hello, everyone. My name is Ryan Johnson. I am the home-based pastor here at LifeBridge Christian Church, and I'm here with...
1: Jake Spielbauer. I'm the teaching pastor here at LifeBridge.
0: As always, we aim to hit only the hardest-hitting questions that bring in deep and meaningful conversation. And Jake, I, I was wondering today, uh, what is the movie you have the most lines memorized from? Like, What movie can you go like quote-for-quote quote with?
1: Well, that's a good question. I think, you know, probably up there in the top three are, you know, probably The Matrix was a big one. And, you know, I'd love to say something inspirational and classic, like, you know, The Lord of the Rings is definitely up there. But I think top of the list, no doubt, the movie that I could quote almost entirely from memory is Nacho Libre.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, and I think for me, it just comes from a place of, it just, you know, a movie about a monk that wears wrestling pants and uh, does professional wrestling, I think really speaks to my own life. I can make a lot of connections there. That's deep. Because, you know, sometimes when you're a man, uh, you wear stretchy pants. That's what you do.
0: Some men do, yes. Yep, yep.
1: But enough about me. What about you? What would you say, uh, what's the movie that you... Have the most memorized from.
0: Getting back in touch with my adolescent roots, I would say uh, "The Water Boy," which I owned on VHS.
1: Another cinematic classic, isn't it? Of the- course. Mm-hmm. That's great, man. That's good stuff. Well, hey, thanks so much for joining us today, and welcome back to the LifeBridge Teaching Podcast. Our goal every week is not just to talk about movies, but uh, in fact to provide deeper conversations about the texts that we study on Sunday mornings that help enrich your understanding of the Bible and take you deeper in your walk with Christ.
0: So I brought up um, the idea of movies and, and what you can memorize the most. You and I both, kind of these past couple weekends, had talked about the idea of memorizing Scripture and God's Word. Um, we talked about uh, Hosea chapter 4, which God says, uh, my people have forsaken me and they died because their lack of knowledge of me. And so I was kind of... Uh, I was wondering as well, as we get to know each other, uh, what is kind of your go-to scripture? or What is something you have memorized um, that either maybe saves you in disappointed time, brings you joy uh, where you need it, or it's just a go-to thing that's in your heart uh, that God has given
1: you? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And, you know, the visual that comes to mind from here right away is I think it, you know, there's a scene in The Matrix, right, where in the, in the original one, because that's the only one that we acknowledge exists, um, but where he's getting ready, you know, he's discovered his identity as the one. And he's ready to go back into the program, and, and he goes to this, you know, armory with Morpheus. And uh, and so, you know, all of a sudden they load the weapons protocol, and, you know, just these massive racks of weapons, you know, come out of nowhere, and, and he starts arming himself to go into the Matrix. And, um, and you know, I think... For us as believers, like there's times where there's different, there's all kinds of different scriptures that we need to draw from. We need to have that kind of armory of just scripture to be able to go to and to, um, to connect with in different life experiences. And for me, you know, I think uh, one that I often go to, um, you know, is Colossians 1. Uh, that's kind of one that I tend to come back to over and over, which talks about you know a lot of times the subheading in that section is you know the transcendence or the preeminence of Christ, and mm-hmm. talks about how all things are created by, through, and for Christ, so that in all things He might be preeminent, and just this mind blowing galaxy level view. Of Jesus, Um, And so I I would also kind of marry that up with another place that I turn in scripture quite often is Hebrews. Um, And especially in Hebrews where we read about Jesus not just as this cosmic savior, the champion, you know, who comes to redeem all of the cosmos, but we also find a high priest who's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. And so for me, those are a couple things for me that uh, just are really powerful scriptures that, I turn to, you know, when I'm in times of trouble or distress, it is so comforting to know that Christ rules above and over all of my uh, difficulties, and yet at the same time he sympathizes and enters into to what I'm feeling, and uh, is able to, to minister to me in my weakness.
0: That's good. Those are good places to turn, and I do, I agree, it's important that we have those written in our hearts, yeah. because when, when bad days happen, or our a spiritual enemy attacks, and you, like you said, those arm those armories need to be loaded and ready to go. Because at a moment's notice, you have to be able to pull that out. Um, and if and if we're just flipping through the Bible, I think in those times yeah. we can miss yeah. um, our purpose or our our big vision or goal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one more just off the top of my head that you know, I was reflecting on is that a, a close friend who's sharing some frustrations with me. Um, you know, recently within the last couple of days and. Just stuff going on in their family, and, and it was brutal to just hear, uh, you know, just some of the things that are going on in their in their life, and through no fault of their own, just really the consequences of others' actions affected them. And, and one, one, one thing I think about is, is in the Scripture when uh, God asks, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Mm. And, um, and I think that that's one, you know, again, that I come back to that, hey, in the end, I don't see it all the time. I don't know how it's going to look but I know that the judge of all the earth will do right.
0: Yes, and that is a a powerful reminder uh, that God just continues to act in our world, and he did so in the Old Testament, uh, revealing himself and leading the Israelites um, and and continuing to bless them and create promises for them to be his people. And obviously we see that then in the fulfillment of Jesus uh, coming to earth. And so uh, one of the themes actually we— we're kind of touching on it. I think uh, you brought up this weekend and actually you've brought up in a message before this was it was this idea of uh, like spiritual time travelers was how you phrased it, which caught caught my attention because yeah. I do like like back to the future. Those things are fun. Um, but you had a great quote uh, that the Bible tells the same story. Sorry. The, yeah. The Bible tells the same story twice, but never the same meaning. Yeah. Uh, and, and you, you kind of tied it to this idea of of a continual fulfillment. Yeah. Could you just, uh, I know you kind of gave it some clarity, but could we just touch on that again? I just think it's such a powerful reminder of of the consistency of God and who God is in his true character.
1: Yeah, right. Thanks for saying that quote. And uh, we were in Nehemiah 8 this week, and uh, specifically verses 8 through 12. And uh, it's this incredible scene where there's an assembly of the people of God to hear the law for the first time. Uh, many of them have never heard it before. They've been in exile. And so they've returned to Jerusalem now. They've been dispersed to different parts of the Persian Empire. And uh, as they're gathered together, uh, Scripture says as one man, uh, they sit under the teaching of the law by Ezra and his teaching team who are helping to translate and uh, help them understand it. And um, and what I referenced on Sunday is it's important for us to recognize that sometimes when we come to a text, uh, one of the first things we'll experience is like spiritual deja vu. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is like, we'll read a text and be like, "Ah, oh, that reminds me of another place in Scripture." And there's a really important intentionality in that. That, uh, and you captured it with that quote. The quote's actually by a scholar named Peter Lighthart, and he That's says great. the Bible tells the same story um, in different ways, but ne- or never in the same way twice, or something like that. And and uh, and what he's getting at is God is always telling the same types of stories. And because we're limited and we're forgetful, he's gracious enough to repeat the same themes over and over. And so there's this really unique way that we can read the Bible where we can come to a text like Nehemiah 8, and we see the assembly of God's people as one man. And it's like, okay, I can think of like at least three or four other scenes in Scripture where there's almost an identical scene going on. And that's an intentional pattern of God to help us to see a theme and find ourselves within the story.
0: Yeah, because as I, as you say that, I think about scripture. I think about, um, I'll, I just go back. I was like Moses reading the the Ten Commandments to the Israelites, and they're gathered, um, at the mountain there, and yeah. and they're all together, and they're wanting to hear what God has. Um, and then we get we get this moment. Um, and I'm only getting, and one, one more. I would say then I think about like uh, the Book of Acts and Pentecost, and yeah. everyone is gathered for the for another festival and feast, yeah. which we'll get into in some weeks to come here, but uh, I don't know, and I know there's more, but those were um, three just out the bat.
1: Yeah. And so you're right. That's, those are definitely some of the scenes, right? You can also list Solomon's dedication of the temple and all of those, um, you know, without, with the exception of Moses and the people in the wilderness reading the law, um, you know, all of those take place in Jerusalem. The people are gathered together as one person sitting under the authority of God. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, with Moses, they're sitting under the Ten Commandments, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, Then at uh, Solomon's dedication of the temple, they're kind of centered, the gathering centered around the temple itself. When Ezra's reading the law, they're gathered under the authority of the law. Um, And then we come to the New Testament where the people are gathered together in Jerusalem. Peter preaches at Pentecost. People respond and they submit to God by believing in Christ and are bound together by the Holy Spirit. And each of these are moments of covenant renewal. And uh, and it's not just like, hey, there's a symbolic parallel there. It's God doing the same thing repeatedly to bring his people to himself and to affirm his covenant with them. And so what this does in Scripture is this idea of continual fulfillment is as the the people of God were were experiencing these things, um, they didn't look at the stories of Scripture as like metaphors for their experience. They really found themselves to be living out those stories in their own day. So if you looked at, for example, you know the people coming out of exile— would have looked to the story of Moses and the people being brought out of captivity in Egypt. Okay, of course they would, because they were in their own captivity. But they didn't just look at it as a metaphor. They really saw themselves standing in that story as a continuation of God's delivering story to bring them out of exile. And in the same way, the Jews of Jesus' day then saw themselves in the same story and expected that God would do the same thing to deliver them Uh, from the Romans, right? And so what they did is the way that they read the scriptures was they found themselves in the stories of what God had done historically for his people. And so that gave meaning and understanding to their present, as well as gave them a vision for how God's promises would be realized or accomplished in the future. And so that's where this whole idea of like, hey, in Christ, we're actually this kind of spiritual time-traveling people, yes. which, you know, yeah. I said on Sunday, you know, um, kind of, you know, it's n- it sounds crazy. It sounds like one of those Dr. Bronner's uh, <laughs> soap bottles where it's got the crazy rantings <laughs> on the side. Um, but it's really true because in the same way then, as God's people today, we would look at, for example, the communion table.
0: Yes, and, I was going to bring that up. I thought you did a great job walking sorry I like no, walking great. that through of like this picture of um of communion and, and we go we look at Jesus uh with his friends the disciples there in the upper room and they're breaking the bread um but that's continued we see the early church and and Paul and Peter continue to to tell the church to do this it's an important thing and we do it obviously in our church and I I like at Lifebridge we do this every week as a reminder um of fellowship and, and yeah. being with Jesus but um,
1: yeah, absolutely. And, and so when we do that, when we take communion, we can say then, if we're reading Scripture correctly, and we're understanding this idea of continual fulfillment, mm-hmm. that the, when we come together to take communion, there's like this intersection of past, present, and future of what God's already done, what he's doing now, and what he will do ultimately in eternity. And so when we take communion, of course, there's echoes of the Passover And we really do stand in the story of God delivering his people by the blood of the lamb put on the doorposts, right? Then we also stand in Christ's last supper with his disciples, anticipating that he, as lamb of God, was going to shed his blood so that we could have a covering and a protection um, from judgment. And also then we look forward to in heaven when we will actually physically be seated at the wedding supper of the lamb, feasting around the table, enjoying the bread and the cup together. Um, and so this is really important because I think, you know, uh, to give a little bit of a picture of where we're going to maybe go this year, um, th- how we read in this way gives us an understanding of how we might approach a text like Revelation.
0: Yes, and this is, a, I'll use a phrase I've heard used around here, and I know I in my Bible school as well, but, you know, we live in this, uh, the, the now and, and then, but the not yet. We live in a, a spiritual present reality where certain promises of God have come true, uh, but then we look forward to like a book like Revelation, and it's and it's not yet happened. Right. And uh, even in Hebrews, I'm just I'm just thinking, um, you know, the writer of Hebrews says that God looked at the sacrifices of the Old Testament, uh, but they didn't they didn't. It wasn't that God wanted the sacrifices in the blood. It actually says that they didn't atone for anything. Right. Uh, but there was, it, it was to look forward into a future promise, the coming of Jesus, the not yet in, in their time. Um, and so, G, so God looked over that, but accepted those as a way for connection and relationship with his people uh, because the not yet was Jesus to come. And obviously our not yet is the return of Jesus.
1: Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And I think it's really interesting because what happens when we come to a book like Revelation, Right, you've essentially got three theological camps. You've got premillennial, amillennial, and postmillennial. So, uh, postmillennial says it's already it's already happened, and amillennial says we're in the midst of it now. A premillennial says it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> right, and maybe the reason that we can all come to the same text in Revelation and find traces of all three of those things is because of this idea of continual fulfillment. That you know what Revelation is the story of what has already happened and what is already passed in the church it is hundred percent revelation was first and foremost written to first century Christians who were dealing with an oppressive Babylonian power in you know Rome the you know the beast that was slaying God's people okay so of course we're gonna find in that messages that apply directly to them and fulfillments there right we also know that revelation is the story of the church now that the challenges of persecution immorality idolatry within within the church those are the, the challenges that we're facing first century Christians, well, guess what? We still face those same things today. Just as Rome was Babylon, well, guess what? Today in our world, the United States is Babylon in a sense. The the great power we see world powers that persecute the church we see china right and it's not that any one of these you know we start to fight about well this interpretation is correct this interpretation is not correct you know but all of these currents run together you know a premillennial that looks at the scriptures and says hey there's things in revelation that haven't happened yet we would say yes and amen because the 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 book of revelation is the story of what has happened in the church what is happening in the church and what's going to happen ultimately again for the church, yep. right? And that's and that's a way too shallow overview, yeah. but it's important to note to note that you know, as we interpret scripture that this idea of continual fulfillment was how the early Jewish people interpreted the Bible and I really believe is how the authors of the New Testament wrote the Bible and understood the Bible. That when Peter wrote, for example, that hey, we can understand baptism by looking where? By looking back at the flood. Right? Why? Because this idea that God does things and they're continually being unveiled and fulfilled, right?
0: What I what I like you did there though is um, the acknowledgement of it. It takes discernment because so often we can open the Bible and look at a text. Oh, that's my life, and we overlap it, um, kind of to the exact point or moment I'm being maybe persecuted like this or this is. And not that some of those themes may not be true. But, um, but what I hear you saying is there's discernment that has to happen as we interpret this, Right. because those themes repeat. But, um, but we have to remember they were written to a specific audience. John um, was given Revelation, but it was a letter that was delivered to certain people. It uh, makes me think of Paul and the Thessalonians as well. They're uh, being persecuted uh, very specifically. Now we can use those applications in our hearts and our lives and our context, um, but our enemies are different things, especially in Revelation, the picture the pictures that we get, we have to be very careful about how we overlap yeah. those in, in our current world culture, because a lot of people thought in world war two, that that was the, the end of the world. Yeah. All these things have not the yeah. nuclear war happens. You have the, the Israelites being, um, being decimated and, but then they get a new Israel at the end of it. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that have come and gone. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to, um, to, to switch topics to something else real quick. Um, because we also talked a lot about the uh, the idea of feasts. I, I had brought up kind of two weeks ago at the start of chapter 8, it talks about the the Feast of the Trumpets. You brought it up, and we're going to get into that topic. Um, yeah. And I love this picture you had kind of given uh, where we go from they're being at the temple to the table, and it's this sharing kind of mentality. We're feasting together. Um, you brought up the, the idea that the source of joy is God himself. That is why they are having feasts It's to remind themselves of God, but I couldn't help but think, hey, what feasts are good, but what happens when we become a glutton and we intake? Um, this might sound bad, but but too much church. We come and we consume, we consume, we become a, a fat Christian, if you will, with all this knowledge and wisdom we've gained. But then we just go home and we sit um, well, and we watch football or we do whatever. But you know we have all these things. We've eaten this full meal. We've feasted with our friends. We've had the Lord's Supper together. And then, and then sometimes we and I think I maybe this is I'm putting it myself. I can feel guilty of now what am I doing with this because we have to keep these feasts, but we don't want to be gluttons of God's word um, and of His church.
1: Yeah, no, that's great, great point. And uh, because we did use this this idea or this you know what we'd say this theme of feasting, because this is another one of those continually fulfilled themes in Scripture is the idea of God desires to bring his people into feasting like if you ask what does joy really look like and this is one of the, th- the points we handle on sunday what is joy to god how does god envision joy well throughout scripture it's feasting and there's a couple dynamics to it but you know feasting in scripture you have this calendar of feasts right on in the jewish year and so all of them have some similar you know ideas you know obviously different occasions stuff like that but all of them share the element of Number one, people being in worship. Number two, people being in friendship. And number three, people being satisfied or filled. Right, and So to God, what does joy look like? Well, it looks like people sitting around a table in communion with their God, in friendship with one another, and being satisfied, enjoying real things. Like joy to God isn't this mystical, ethereal kind of state of being. It's not like, you know, um, basically the idea of nirvana right? Some spiritually disembodied thing. Joy to God is a table, a physical table with real people having full bellies, laughing and enjoying one another and worshiping God, right? That's what we have a picture of in heaven, right? If you ask, what's the new heaven and new earth going to look like? Well, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then the good news is there's a feast coming, right? You're not going to be an angel sitting on a cloud with a harp. It's sitting around the table and enjoying one another but you know you asked a good question with where does that go then because then is the point of the christian life to just sit around tables and you know just you know, essentially be uh, epicurean just you know eat and you know eat our full drink you know no not by any means and there's actually this really cool hint in the text um if you take a look in chapter 8 and verse uh, verse 9 uh, sorry verse 10 and um, and so Ezra we can kind of have this crazy transition where the people are weeping they're mourning because they're hearing the law they're becoming aware of their sin and then Ezra has this kind of really surprising command that hey actually you know what because this is a holy day it's not appropriate to mourn it's more appropriate for you to feast and so he commands them hey go away go eat what's rich you know go sit around the table go enjoy God enjoy one another and then he says this little, this little little, part that we didn't get to touch on a whole lot. He said, send a portion to those who have nothing prepared. Mm. Okay? Now, we could gloss over that really quickly, but what does that mean? As you're feasting, go find people who don't have anything to feast with and bring them in to your feasting. Okay? And so this gives us a picture of, okay, the table's not just reserved for us. Actually, part of what it means to be the people of God is to go to find those who do not have a portion at the table with God and to invite them in to come and experience his joy. And we'd say this is mission. We we look at this and we say, hey, that's evangelism. That's the gospel. That's discipleship. But it's also the idea of justice.
0: It makes me wonder when Jesus tells the story of the um, of the banquet where the king goes out and he's having this this big banquet and he's ready and he's, inviting all these people and, and the people who got the invitation who are citizens of the city reject it and so the word goes out to it's like to the slaves to the to the farmers the people on the outskirts they didn't get invitations and now these in these people are all come into this banquet but it's a very tangible parable Jesus gives of of people sitting around a table with the great king enjoying the banquet that has been prepared yeah for them yeah. And it's it's a parable, but it speaks to the nature of God of saying, but there is a real there is a real joy and to be had here.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and
0: and and again, to our original point, I guess, even the continual fulfillment, this continues to mull in my head, it's a picture of what's to come in the new heaven and the new earth. Right. And 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 I like I, I like too, this came up in both of our studies. We talked about um the piety of of religion and this idea of like we can think Joy is I have this wisdom of God, I'm doing all these things. And the Pharisees, um, in Jesus' time, they, they knew the Scriptures. They knew Moses' law. They knew all these things. But we don't get a picture from Jesus that it brought particular joy. It was it brought a piety to them, the seriousness. the script. And one person, one way like, people look at Christians is this way. You keep the law, you keep it good, and, you, and it's just supposed to keep you happy, this pursuit of knowledge, I guess. And yet, what is Jesus saying? Uh, you need to be like these children when you when you come to me yeah um, and what do children have i have a 2 year old right now i can tell you for the most part he is he has joy and sunshine and when he comes to this place and he's smiling he's got these big eyes that light up when um when he sees when he sees me come home he sees dad come home he's like oh daddy and he runs and he runs and he's so overjoyed he can't control himself he can't he just wants to give a big hug um and that is sort of the picture you i hear you kind of painting is yeah. that's what that's what god wants this if you will uncontrolled you're at the table you're feasting and there's so much here and god is just saying hey dig in be joyful um, and and be present with the people who are here
1: yeah absolutely and you know it's so interesting because somewhere along the way we've adopted this idea that to be a good christian is to be miserable Mm -hmm. right it's just to be Mm -hmm. constantly whipping yourself for your sins, to just be in sackcloth and ashes all the time, and, uh, and that uh, when we come to church, we should have a, a you know a seriousness about us. And maybe it's just that I've never been a super serious guy, and I like to goof around and have fun and laugh. Uh, probably too much sometimes. It gets me in trouble, right? Just ask my parents about what it was like to parent me when I was a middle schooler. Um, but I think really we have to ask ourselves, is that actually, you know, is it scriptural? Yeah. Does that accurately reflect the heart of God? Here's what I've, you know, something I've been thinking about is, listen, who designed laughter? Mm. Who yeah. designed laughter? God did. And what does it tell us about the character of God? That God would design an experience for his people of just uncontrolled explosions of enthusiasm and happiness and gladness. Well, why? Because that's part of who God is. And actually, I think if we understand God's word correctly, I, I think if you have, if you come to Scripture, you come to the the Gospel of Jesus Christ, right? The rescuer of humanity and the Savior of the cosmos. And you come away with a religion that makes people um, miserable, and joyless, and serious, and full of shame. I'm, then either we're not reading the same Bible, or we're not reading it correctly. Because yes, the Bible does tell us to take a headlong dive into our own sin to acknowledge the awful, horrible reality that our sins are far worse, to quote Tim Keller, our sins are far worse than we could have ever imagined. That's the terrifying part, and that's what the people experienced in chapter 8, is as they started to experience and understand the gravity of their sin and the rebellion before God, oh my gosh, we've forsaken God's law, it crushed them, and what does God say to them? It's not appropriate for you to stay there.
0: because the, so then, sorry to finish that quote because I love it, I have it on my computer, but you are far more loved than you could ever imagine.
1: Absolutely. Sin is far worse than we could have ever imagined and uh, we're loved far more than we could have ever hoped. And it's just a beautiful reality. And that's exactly what the gospel says to us, is as we go to the pit, the bottom, to realize the entire gravity, the crushing weight of our sin, we realize that, you know what, Jesus took all of that because that is the immensity and the gravity of the love of God. And so it's not appropriate for us to stay in a place of misery and self-hatred. That's not Christian at all. But as we look at our sin, we find a Savior who's greater. And so ultimately, God's Word is meant to lead us out of condemnation and into joy. Why wouldn't we? Why would we rejoice that, like we mentioned earlier in the episode, that in Hebrews we have a high priest who's able to sympathize with our weakness that who entered into our misery and he's not actually repulsed by us in our distress he's not disgusted by us when we struggle or fail it's that moment is when the bat signal goes up and he's drawn to us to come and provide his saving power and grace to minister to us in our time of need and so god designed for his people to not exist in sorrow but to exist in joy and then to the point that you're mentioning to then share that joy, that that joy needs to be shared, that we as his people in the world, what is our mission, what's our responsibility, it is to invite people into that joy, right, to invite them into Christ, and to take it to every street corner, to take it to every crack house and broken place, to every brothel, to every, I mean, to find the really ugly places in our world, and to take the joy and the gladness of God, and to invite people to come out of darkness, and to experience in.
0: that's so sweet i mean that is i mean that is the character of god i i I, what you're saying is just exactly who god is he he is we live in a present reality where we are broken and separated and and we have to acknowledge that and the bible acknowledges that um jesus acknowledges that and yet the the continual invitation is find yourself new drop the old, and, and come joyfully to the Father, to the Creator, um, to the Designer. And that's even, again, the, the, that's chapter 8 right there, kind of in a nutshell. They are broken. They're hearing God's word, and they have to acknowledge we've fallen short. And yet the invitation is, but feast with gladness and with joy. Um, I'm curious, you know, as we wrap things up, is there anything else um, from this teaching that stood out to you Um, Was there anything, uh, maybe as you were studying, we we read commentaries, we read notes, um, we hear sermons from other pastors, things stand out, they don't always make it into the message, Um, but was there something that you just thought, huh, this was good for Jake's soul to hear, but maybe didn't make it to the pulpit on Sunday?
1: Yeah, I think for me, you know, there wasn't a lot, you know, this week that uh, I left on the on the chopping block, but, you know, one of the, this, you know, as you preach a lot of times, you know, you're preaching to yourself first, and I think one of the things that did stuck out to me, and I, I, I did mention this passage was Psalm 1611, which, um, you know, I think we need to be reminded of, because our first problem is always faulty theology, right? Um, And so our greatest need is always to be reminded of who God truly is. And Psalm 1611 just says, hey, you make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. Mm -hmm. And I just need to remember that where is joy going to truly come from in my life? It's only going to come from the presence of God. It's only going to come from being close to him, that ultimately it's not a recipe, it's not a formula, it's not something that I can accomplish through, even through spiritual discipline. I mean, the whole point this week was, you know, that God's word leads us from affliction to joy, that it first afflicts us, just as a surgeon has to wound a patient in order to heal them, the word first afflicts us, and then it heals us and leads us into joy. Um, But even then, it's not any recipe of Bible reading, right, or any recipe of habits even though those are good and we'd affirm spiritual disciplines and that is kind of the point that hey let's put god's word in a central place in our life but ultimately the reason god's word has the power to do that is because joy is what the presence of god is like and that's what we experience as we come into his presence the invitation of jesus is that if we'll trust him in faith that we will be covered by the blood of the lamb and brought into the presence of god sinless and spotless so we can experience His joy.
0: That's good. That that's like a just just mic drop right there. I that is. Um, I think that that sums up exactly what you talked about this past weekend and why. I mean, I walked away very encouraged um, because of that of recognizing what God what God's words supposed to do and it makes me reckon with some things. But man, it reminds me that God sees sees. Passed us in because of Jesus's death, because of the blood of Jesus, and then sees me spotless and and just says, "You're my son. I I love you. Yeah, uh, and I can take joy in that. Yeah. So I. Amen. Yeah. I don't. Uh, we want to talk about one other topic on here. I'm <laughs> like, I just want to leave it there. <laughs> yeah. But as we talk about joy, we uh, we we take joy in this podcast. We're we're um, tr- kind of resurrecting it, if you will. Has um, been a thing, and then we sort of fell off, and we're back at it. And so we wanted to. To maybe bring some new names and some joy that brought came to us this week was looking at the names we will not be using, um, because I did what any millennial would do when in search of a of a name or rebranding, and I Googled what is a good name for a podcast, um, which came up with a with a brilliant yet faulty name generator. <laughs> Yeah, and
1: and this yeah. is a good point to mention too that if you tune in next week, come back next week. Uh, if you tune in next week, we will be unveiling the new identity, the new, uh, new the name, new brand. new brand. Man, we're gonna have yeah. brand.
0: You know, that's what I was in. We're, we're
1: yeah, big time. So, we're going to be unveiling our new identity as a podcast. So, you want to tune in definitely next week to hear that. But uh, we thought it'd be great this week to share names that we will not be using based on our AI name generator.
0: Like the Bible burrito.
1: The Bible burrito. I mean, you know, that kind of, you know what I love about that is it combines two of my passions, scripture and natural libre. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I didn't think about that
1: but See continual true. fulfillment. It always comes back around. How how about yeah. what, are, what are some of the other top ones that you
0: had? The Green Bay saga with Jake and Ryan. Um it was it was the the Bible, Jake and Ryan and Friends.
1: The Bible, Jake and Ryan. And friends.
0: <laughs> that was
1: We didn't. you didn't want to go with that one?
0: Jake and Ryan saves Yeah, there's an S there. Jake and Ryan saves the world. Wow. No country for Jake and Ryan.
1: Wasn't there one in there, Jake and Ryan saves the Bible?
0: <laughs> that actually just came up, and I was like, do I say that one that might feel sacrilegious? Um, real time with Jake and Ryan. Real time about the Bible.
1: Real time about the Bible.
0: The real Bible time. Wow. Planet Jake and Ryan. I mean. Wow. That's my phone number. But just think. I think we just drop it there.
1: There's too many for, I mean, how can we pass any of these up? This is great stuff.
0: I mean, I think so. I, Planet Jake and Ryan. Planet Jake and Ryan is pretty good. I think we've arrived. It
1: reminds me of, like, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure (laughs) for some reason. Yeah. Anyway, well, hey, uh, we're so grateful that you joined us this week. Um, Thanks for jumping in as we explore the scriptures together. Uh, You can uh, hit us up if you have questions or topics that you'd like to see us discuss on the show. We'd love to hear feedback, love to hear ideas. So hit us up, uh, and uh, maybe, just maybe, your question or comment Make it on the air one of these weeks. Uh, But, hey, we love you. We're grateful for you joining in. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today, and uh, we will see you next week.